Hey everybody, welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today we are in Season 3, Episode 20, and I'm Ben Patterson, joined as always by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, good to see you this morning, Ben. How you doing? Yes, sir. Doing good. Good, good. Yeah, Glad to hear good, it. Good morning so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yes, you know, sir. Monday morning starts off early with a prayer group that, that I'm part of and then take the take the kids to school. And so, uh, so yeah, we went through through those uh, motions and, and now here. So, awesome. yeah, it's been a good morning. Early one, but a good one. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, uh, we are, yesterday, we actually had a pretty big day at Grace Chapel. Um, and we shared a pretty big announcement yeah. that will pertain to our podcast audience as well. So sure. some of y'all who were yep. there may have already heard this, but do you want to share our announcement? Yeah, I'll share that. Um, so uh, so in mid-July, uh, my family and I were actually relocating to Florida. So um, uh, we're going to leave here just north of Atlanta. We've been here for eight years, and we'll be going to uh, start a new work there. So mm-hmm. um, excited about that, but at the same time have really mixed emotions. Uh, we've, yeah. we've loved our time here. It's been uh, a real blessing being here at Grace Chapel. Uh, we will be doing a, a pretty different work, actually, going to help a, a small church that um, that needs uh, is in need of some revitalization. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're going to do that. The, the nice thing is, in one sense, won't be doing that alone. I actually have been uh, working with a group for a little bit of time, uh, actually helped design what was called uh, this system, you know, the MOS project or multiplicative operating system mm-hmm. project. Uh, the idea behind that is uh, to create this, uh, this kind of replicative DNA mm-hmm. um, that, that churches would embrace either as, <clears throat> as new plants or maybe in the sense of a revitalization. So either way, you're trying to do something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll be part of a cohort of what's currently 15 or 16 uh, different, uh, different church leaders trying to do a similar thing. And so we'll be engaging with them a couple of times a month. We'll have coaching, consulting as part of that. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited about, about the work yeah. that we'll be doing. And I yeah. think that it'll be really valuable and worthwhile. And I think even, you know, as part of that cohort experience, um, some of what comes out of that is what we hope and what others hope, um, you know, as we value multiplication, as we value uh, generational disciple making, as we value churches, you know, seeing churches who plant churches, who plant churches, who plant churches. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Some of that, I think, will help uh, maybe set the tone or create a roadmap <coughs> for other churches in North America looking to do similar things as well, or for others who are looking to plant or revitalize or. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, definitely, like I said, very, very much mixed emotions. Yeah, um, yeah, we're for so sure. thankful for sure. um, to the Grace Chapel leadership, um, the the church family here. Um, already, just in in the last day, have received so much encouragement and support. Um, you know, and a big part. I mean, I've shared I've shared this openly, so I'll I'll share it again here. <clears throat> um, you know, we we have have loved our time here having said that i mean every every winter i've had a struggle with what's called seasonal affective disorder mm-hmm. um it's a it's a seasonal depression for most people they experience it in the winter time if they experience it although strangely enough because you know, i love summer there are some people who actually experience seasonal affective disorder connected to the summertime mm-hmm. which is interesting but uh you know the gray and dreary days of the winter really can kind of can kind of get to me i mean it's it's a wild thing i still look at it and you know, as I come out of in the spring, I can't believe that the weather of the winter could really have made me feel the way it did. 
Um, but you know, I mean, it, it, with any typical depression, you know, you go through times of hopelessness, uh, just really struggling for motivation and desire to do anything. There's an irritability that comes with it. You know, all, all those things that you associate with, with like a clinical depression. And so uh, we tried a lot of different things, a lot of different therapies and um, even medical intervention to try to get to where I could be in a better, healthier place. And, um, you know, nothing, nothing really took those things away, those symptoms away. And this winter in particular was a very, uh, very tough one. And so it led to some difficult conversations about the need to be open. And, mm -hmm. and we've had these conversations before you know, in or just after a winter time, um, but felt, you know, this time through as we were praying, you know, God really giving maybe kind of a release and, and, um, and opening then a door as well. And so, you know, um, again, saddened by the, the struggle that, that I've, that I've walked through in the time here, saddened by what it's led to, but also believing that God is at work both for what we'll do and then also for, for what will happen here. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, as I said yesterday, um, Grace Chapel is in good hands. We've got an incredibly talented staff, a good group of uh, leaders, elders, and even, you know, yesterday pointed seven new deacons here at Grace yeah. Chapel. Yeah. And so, again, Grace Chapel is in good hands. And so, yeah, that's, that's our big announcement. Um, you know, but, but don't want to consume yeah. the whole yeah. the whole time of the conversation with this. We also were in, in week three of a, a series that we um, that we are really enjoying walking yes. through too. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. And man, I just want to thank you for your uh, for your honesty and vulnerability and mm -hmm. sharing um, kind of where you're at with that. And we we certainly feel that mix of emotions for you as well. Yeah, it's sad to sad to lose you here, but excited for what you've got going next. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And that will, obviously, is going to have an effect on yeah. Practice Makes Faithful yes. as it currently is. So this would be season three. It would actually end next week. will be yeah, our final right. episode of season yeah, three. Yeah, we always take the summers off anyway. Yes. Yeah. And then we're going to kind of reassess mm -hmm. what it might look like of um, what the future of this is. It will definitely... It will end yeah. in this current format as it is, and we'll be exploring some conversation if that's the end for good or if something else might that's come right. out of that. Yep. So just kind of be following that, and we'll let you know. Kind yeah, of say stay tuned. We an and we'll, yeah, I mean, those of you who are already subscribing in your podcast feeds or engaging with the YouTube channel, um, if, if we choose to move forward with Practice Makes Faithful in, uh, in a different type of format, kind of like a separated by distance format, which a lot of podcasters do, yeah. um, then we'll put out an announcement, I would say, probably sometime near the end of this summer. Um, For sure. We're, we're going to be in conversation and try to determine, as you said, whether, you know, whether... Uh, whether this is an end for Practice Makes Faithful or no, we, we've got other plans and, and God's got other plans and other things will happen. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll definitely let folks know as we go. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, um, glad we're able to talk about that, share that transparently with you all, kind of mm -hmm. where we're at. But we do want to dive into this message yeah. because we are still in the midst of this series on Second Timothy, mm -hmm. and we want to kind of dive into that. So, Paul, you want to give us that quick recap where we're at in here, and then we'll dive into this week's message. Yeah, so, um, you know, again, this, this letter, uh, it's helpful to know and remember where the Apostle Paul was when writing Second Timothy, that he was in prison in Rome. It was the second time he'd been imprisoned. He seems to have this really 
uh, good understanding of what the end of this time in prison will be, and it won't be him coming out, you know, being released again. It's going to end in likely execution, and it does. I mean, we know from history uh, that it did. And so um, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who's been his disciple, in a sense, from the days of his youth all the way now until he's roughly probably 30 years leading this church in Ephesus, in this city in Ephesus. Um, and, and the Apostle Paul is writing some things, knowing again that it's, he's nearing the end of his life, the end of his opportunity to communicate to Timothy. And so really this letter of 2 Timothy is, Timothy, here are all the things I want you to know about what's ahead for you, based upon what I've faced, based upon what I believe you're going to face, based upon what it's going to take to stay faithful in the face of so many, at times, even sufferings and persecutions and other things. And so, uh, as we talked about in the first week, Paul is reminding Timothy to guard this gift that God has put in him, to take this ember or this spark and fan it to flame, um, and then to see that flame spread from him to others. You know, mm -hmm. so using that imagery of the flame that Paul uh, is using himself, you know, if you think about um, when something catches on fire, in fact, I was... Uh, um, we were burning some things, you know, a bunch of random branches. We got a lot of branches or a lot of trees in our yard. And so anytime a storm comes through, it will knock down some of the branches that have been dying. And mm -hmm. so we had a, a pretty decent storm come through, a uh, thunderstorm come through, and there were a lot of downed branches and some other wood that we needed to get rid of. And so I've got a burn barrel. Um, and, you know, so that's, that's my attempt at having a safe fire in my yard, right, in, in a semi-residential area. And so um, where I had, had the fire last, um, it, it was still kind of toward the end of winter and there weren't leaves on the trees yet. So I moved the burn barrel out just a little bit and it was just barely far enough because I could see the flames and the kind of the way that, um, you know, the hot air rises. I could see the leaves kind of mm -hmm. just like going mm -hmm. all over the place with, a, you know, and, and so fortunately, um, you know, nothing caught on fire. But when you have a roaring fire like that, if it's close to something else that could catch, a good fuel, it's going to catch that next thing on fire. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it does. And, and in a sense, that is what Paul is wanting for Timothy's faith, is that it would spread like a wildfire from him to other people, and that he mm -hmm. would become then through that a, a multiplier of disciples, or as we talked about it um, last week, that he would um, become a generational disciple maker. You know, basically saying, what, what I gave to you, you passed to others. Mm -hmm. You know, so that that flame that caught in your life, you know, pass that flame on to others. And, and he's talking about not just passing it on to others. He's saying, pass it on to others who will be reliable. How do we know they're reliable? They will pass it on to others as well. And so uh, there is this desire to see the gospel spread in a generational way, that, that disciple making would be generational in a sense. So one generation of disciples to another generation of disciples to another to another. And in that case, Paul is actually outlining the passing on of disciple making in four generations. Paul who taught Timothy, reliable others who taught others, right? But then of course the idea would be that they would, that, that would go on and on and on and on. And so, um, so that's kind of, you know, for context where we've been to this point and, and again, remember, Paul's writing this from prison, and he's already talked to Timothy, especially at the end of chapter 2, about some of the things that are ahead, some of the things that are coming. So in the midst of persecution, suffering, and other things, I want you to take the spark that's in you and fan it to flame. So instead of, you know, the things that are happening around you being like a, you know, a bucket of water that douses that spark, I want that spark to still be fanned to flame, regardless of what's happening around you. 
And in spite of persecution, suffering, tough time for Christians coming, be a multiplier of disciples anyway. Yep. So, um, you know, it's not like, you know, Paul is saying everything is great, so people should all just come to faith easily. No, it's in the midst of suffering and persecution that uh, the generational disciple making happened in the church to where, again, by, you know, the, the early fourth century, um, it had gone from a handful of disciples that Jesus left uh, on this earth to more than 300,000 Christians. And I think somewhere, I mean, I, I heard recently it was somewhere close to, you know, close to 20% of Rome um, had become Christians under suffering and persecution by the time Constantine uh, said in roughly maybe 310, I think he um, at least ended the persecution and maybe it was around that time too that he made Christianity the, the official empire or official religion of the Roman Empire. So incredible amounts of gospel fruitfulness between the year you know, 33 and the year 310 or so. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, 327 is, is a pretty significant year, too. So, so yeah, I mean, you can see this happening. What Paul intended, pass it down to others who will pass it to others, pass it to others, pass it to others, pass it to others, and disciples making disciples who make disciples. That is exactly what was happening and what Paul is uh, trying to inspire Timothy to. And so, so that's yeah. where we've been yeah. to this point, anyhow. That's good. So then this Sunday, you know, actually the name of this series was, is yeah. In These Last Days. And you kind of yes. talked about that idea a little bit. Tell us a little bit about where we go this Sunday. Yeah, so, so Paul begins a third chapter, again, acknowledging that there were no chapters. Paul didn't write his letter in chapters. But Paul begins the first, uh, the, the first verse of the third chapter by saying this, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. That's NLT. Um, I mean, just, just think about, just think about that. I mean, the warning, Timothy, there are going to be some really difficult times ahead for you, um, for Christians. Why? Paul goes on to describe what the difficult days will be like, what they were like, you know. And so Paul is saying in these last days, which I think we need to pause on that just for a second, because I think it's significant that Paul, in the year 67-ish, you know, it could have been 65, 66, 67, somewhere in that ballpark when he wrote this letter to Timothy, he was saying to Timothy, these are the last days. Mm -hmm. Like, we're in the last days already. That was Paul's view, is that we're already in the last days. So, in a sense, that anything post the resurrection of Jesus counted as the last days. Mm -hmm. So, we're in a period of time that Paul would have referred to his last days. He was already then. We are already now as well, of course, in the last days. And so he says, you should know that these times will be very difficult. And then he says why. He begins this description of why these last days are going to be terrible. Now, I want you to think about this. If, if I were to read these words just as a descriptor of the times that we were living in, you would look at that and say, yep, that makes sense. I see that. This is what the days look like today. So I want you to hear these words first, okay. thinking about it in that way. Okay. Like, okay, well, what if Paul was describing the times we were living, we are living in now? But then we're going to take a kind of we're going to flip the script a little bit and say, but realize that Paul was actually describing the times he was living in then. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is what Paul says. He says, again, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, ask yourself, does this sound like the times that we're living in right now? He says, for people will love only themselves and their money. Okay. Now, yeah. again, that's, it's, yeah. 
We might look at that and say it's a somewhat cynical view, but if we look at what most people are pursuing in yeah. life, yeah. it is looking out for number one, and it's how, how can I build a bigger castle? Mm-hmm. How can I have more stuff? You know, even, even the, the commercial that I found very, um, very honest and, and very self-revelatory in a sense, you know, is it this, um, this guy's out mowing his lawn. I can't remember who the commercial is for, but the guy's out mowing his lawn and he stops. The camera kind of comes in on him. He turns his lawnmower off and he pauses and he looks at the camera and he says, you know, you're looking behind me and you see my beautiful house and my beautiful lawn and my car and all this stuff. And you're probably wondering, how do I have all these things? And he looks right in the camera and says, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. You know, and so kind of this like admission, like this is how we've gotten all this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. we valued things so much that we're willing to be in debt up to our eyeballs because of what that thing, because of what it says about us, because of what we feel like when we have all this stuff. We love money. We love ourselves. We love the castle we're building. And so, I mean, that sounds like today. Paul goes on to say, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. They will be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. And really, this idea of disobedience to, to parents is, is in the first century, this was a kind of first level expression of what it looks like when people become rebellious toward authority, mm-hmm. when there's no more respect for authority. Well, I, I hear over and over again, maybe it's teachers in the school system and others as well, um, about how little respect there is in our society today for authority. Yeah, yeah. Whether it be parents, whether it be teachers, whether it be other people who are in places which ought to be places of respect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're not respected for their position whatsoever anymore. Yeah. You know, so again, that sounds like today, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, Paul says. He says they will consider nothing sacred. Mm-hmm. Right? So whether we think about you know, the way we, we handle sexuality, this beautiful gift that God has given us um, that, that can really be honored and in a sense can be sacred. You know, the, the, what we have that God has blessed us with, sacred. So many other things we could apply that to and say, these things really are sacred. How about life? Life is sacred. How about the, the, the chance to have a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, and not, not sacred at all? You know, I think, I think to the, the, you know, the, the shirt that was big probably 15, 20 years ago, it's kind of a revolution in one sense, the Jesus is my homeboy revolution, you know? So Jesus and I were just buddies. Yeah. You know, so instead of seeing the sacred, and yes, yeah, Jesus is our friend, Jesus is our brother. Jesus is also our Lord, our King. Mm -hmm. And so just removing the sacred, removing the holy from these things that ought to be revered to some degree, I mean, we could say, yes, that's today. They will be unloving and unforgiving. Man, think about about cancel culture right now. And and I understand there are times when some things are so wrong that what you want to do is just flip the switch and turn it off and say, that person can never speak again. Um, but think about when, when people do things and make mistakes today, it almost doesn't matter what they say or what they do or whether they're truly sorrowful for the mistake they made. There's no forgiveness for certain mistakes and certain sins in our culture today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's a shame. And pe- people ought to be allowed. I mean, at, at the heart of, our, of what it means to be a Christian is the call to repent so that we will give up our old life so that we can 
begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. But in society, there's almost no chance for mm. beginning something new, for somebody really changing mm -hmm. and being mm -hmm. different. That's just kind of pushed away today. Um, Paul goes on to say this, they will slander others. Man, social media is like, <laughs> like the hotbed yeah. for slandering others. They will have no self-control. Why should I control myself? <laughs> Why not? Why should I? They will be cruel and hate what is good. Again, that's there. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Mm. You know, again, we, we could keep talking about where all these things, it, it just reflects society. We don't have to spend so much time on this, but think about this last one that he says um, in verse 5. He says, they will act religious, but will reject the power that could make them godly. Wow. Stay away from people like that. You know, when you think about, you know, we often talk about... Um, about North American culture and maybe the culture of the United States in particular being built on Judeo-Christian values or a Judeo-Christian value system. And certainly I think that's, that is true. I mean, a lot of the reasons that many people feel, think, behave the way they do, um, a lot of the beliefs that we have about what's right and what's wrong in our culture come from Scripture, from, mm -hmm. from a Judeo-Christian worldview, you could say. Uh, but but there's not much credit given to the words of Scripture. I mean, that's where do we get a Judeo-Christian worldview? It's from the words of Scripture. It's from what God has said, this is what you should value, and here's what is right, and here's what is wrong. Now, there's a real rebellion against that today, there's no doubt. But many of our beliefs about morality, many of our beliefs about what should be moral and what is immoral, even our value that love is important. We should love people. Well, well how, why do we think we should love people? Why shouldn't we just mm. hate people? Why shouldn't we do whatever we want to do? Well, a lot of that comes from our understanding uh, that, that maybe this historical understanding of, of the kind of people God would have us to be. Yeah. But then now we live in a time where we've removed that understanding of what God would have us to be. And just we've just said, well, we just should be these kind of people. Mm. Well, why? Well, we just should, right? But there's no answer to the why behind the what, and, and that's very problematic. And so, in a sense, you could have people acting religious, but rejecting the power that could actually make them godly. Mm. So, religion without power that makes us godly is worthless. Whether it's a religion that we embrace and knowingly embrace it, or whether it's people who are unknowingly embracing the religion of past generations, it's completely worthless unless there's the power connected with it, which you know is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the words of God that could actually make them godly. Um, and, and Paul says there's a real danger in that. So, you know, again, just this summary, you know, of the kind of people that will take advantage of others, that will slander others, that will act religious, but rejecting the power that makes them, that could actually make them godly. They're unforgiving and unloving and all these things. They're cruel. They hate good things. I mean, all of that that we could say, man, this is us today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, remembering that Paul was yeah. saying in 67, the year 67, this is us today, Timothy. Mm -hmm. It's us today, too, in this current generation. So then, so help us understand, like, what what does Paul mean by the last days? Like, what is he referring to there? Because if it's mm -hmm. talking about, like, I think typically when we think of the last days, we think of this as being apocalyptic, yeah. and we think yes. of this being the end of the world, right? Yeah. Of 
think of maybe what we read in Revelation, or maybe even if you're yeah. like me and you read like the Left Behind books, mm. that's kind of an imagination yeah. of, oh, there's last days, yes. which I now have a problem with a lot of that theology. But yeah. le- le- you know, Left Behind books, they informed a lot of the way I thought of these things. Sure. So, what do we mean? What are the last days? Like, yeah, there's a lot of ideas around like that. Rapture theology, yeah, yeah. or you know, uh, using a fancy Greek word, the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, and um, and I think some of those things can be associated with the last last days. Mm-hmm. But there's this period of time that Paul is currently calling the last days, and it's it's. It's the church age, maybe you could say. You know, I want to be careful to not get into like dispensationalism, but um, but but there is this time post the resurrection of Christ, um, which would have been somewhere around the year thirty three A.D., which Paul is referring to now as the last days. Mm-hmm. It's it's these are the days in which we've had kind of in a sense the final testimony from God sent you know in His Son Jesus Christ who came to dwell on earth. We had the writing of the New Testament. So here we have the completion of the Word of God given to us. We have the mission of the Word or the mission of God Himself given to us. Um, We're going to have a time where people accept that, but also people reject that. Our call is to take the gospel to all nations, and then the end will come. Mm -hmm. Right? So, um, yeah, I mean, certainly... There has been this sensationalism, and, and, and maybe sometimes rightly so, and sometimes wrongly so. I mean, if you read Revelation, I mean, you're, you're going to walk away with all sorts of imagery in your mind yeah. Um, oh, yeah. about what is coming. And, and I think some of Revel- the book of Revelation is definitely to talk about um, the end times right before Jesus returns. I think, I think that's probably true. I think some of Revelation is just meant to give us a picture of how we ought to be living in light of the coming of Christ, in light of the fact that He will return one day, and in light of the fact that many times we're going to feel like we are the suffering, uh, persecuted, defeated ones this side of eternity. In reality, however, we are the victorious ones in Jesus Christ. And so, um, in the end, the, the, the point of Revelation is to call people to faithfulness regardless of the difficult times we're living in because we know that one day Jesus returns and He wins. Mm-hmm. And we want to be on His side, in a sense. Um, you know, if you think about Revelation, Revelation was initially written, I mean, we see in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation who Revelation was written to. These seven churches in Asia Minor that John is writing to because Jesus is saying, speak these things, speak my words to these churches. And so John starts writing down what Jesus was sharing with him, and it's a message for these churches that they needed to see in that day and age, where they had, again, Ephesus was part of that group, Laodicea, other churches that were part of the group as well, Smyrna, Thyatira. So these churches needed to hear the message of Jesus in that time, and what was the call? Be faithful. Because, yes, the end will come, and it's going to be very difficult between now and then, uh, there will be suffering. In fact, at one point in time, you know, Paul says to Timothy, you know, anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to suffer. I mean, it says that yeah. in 2 Timothy 3. Yeah. And so there seems to be this promise, not of comfort, but of suffering for Christians. Um, and this target, the target out there for us is set not at comfort, but godliness. So be like God in spite of the fact that you may suffer. 
But the reality is, you know, certainly in, in our Western version of Christianity, we have created the target of comfort. In mm. fact, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's almost been like we promise people, if you come to Jesus, you're, you'll live a life of comfort. Yeah. yeah. You know, not you'll get to live a godly life, but there may be some suffering along the way. There likely will be some suffering along the way. There may be some persecution along the way. And as we've talked about before in the podcast, persecution can come in many different forms. You know, you may lose your job for believing the things you do. Are you willing to lose your job if that's what it means to follow Jesus? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you willing to be ostracized by your family if that's what it means to follow Jesus? Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer to some mm-hmm. degree. And so, uh, but yeah, so I mean, again, back to the idea of the last days, I think there is a lot of confusion about what that means. Um, yeah, for in sure. In fact, you know, we can just give, you know, some examples. I mean, you know, many, many, many different Christian leaders uh, throughout history have incorrect, incorrectly predicted or tried to predict the end of the mm-hmm. world. I mean, if you remember <laughs> like the, the, the Millerite movement, which was one of the most famous um, of, of the end of the world predictions. I mean, I, I think he was in New England somewhere. Um, in, you know, October 22nd, 1844, uh, all these folks were just sitting outside waiting for Jesus to return because William Miller had predicted the end, you know, the end of the return and the, the end of the world and the return of Jesus. And then that didn't happen, you know, or more, uh, more recently, you may remember, um, you may, I don't know, Ben, maybe you do, uh, 12 years ago, um, there were billboards. I can Didn't remember driving down yeah. the road and seeing the billboards um, that you know, were created by uh, this guy named Harold Camping, who had this ministry. He was a radio preacher, and he predicted the world would end on May 21st, 2011. You know? um, and then later was like, whoops, messed up my calculation just a little bit. Um, it, it was October 21st. 2011, and then that didn't come either. And I even can remember some of those billboards being updated, um, you know, and, and, you know, there was something about it that was comical, that was sad at the same time. Yeah. You know, um, Pat Robertson predicted the world would come to an end a couple of different times, once in the 1980s and once in, I think, 2007. Uh, Of course, Benny Hinn predicting the end of the world in 1994 and that, uh, that Jesus would actually appear in person during one of his crusades. Like, so Jesus is gonna come right back and he's gonna come walking out on the stage as, as I'm preaching and, and, and healing, uh, oftentimes kind of, you know, fake healing people. And so, um, yeah. you know, that, that's often what we think about when we think of the end of the world is, you know, somebody predicting the end of the world and here it's coming. And, you know, so we're waiting for this day. And, and a lot of people have been really turned off to Christianity because of these very incorrect predictions, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, which again, I think is, is engaging in a certain level of foolishness, you know, for Jesus to say in Matthew 24, 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So saying only God the Father knows when this will actually happen. Is there going to be an end of the world? Yes, yeah. there will. But we don't need to mix up the end of all things or the end of the world with the end times that Paul says we're currently living in. This this stretch between the time of the resurrection of Jesus and okay. the end of all things. So the last days, just if you simply define it, you'd say it, Paul's referring to the time between the resurrection to whenever the yes. end is, which we can't predict, no right. man can predict. That right. could be in a day, it could be in yeah. a thousand years, That's you right. never know. But yes. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I think that's correct. I think that's correct. I mean, we, you know, Jesus says we can't predict it, um, that we don't know it. The angels don't know it. Mm-hmm. Only the Father knows it. Um, Jesus also ties the end. The end will come when? When the gospel has been preached to all nations. And so there, there are quite a few folks out there saying we've got to preach the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And there are still unreached people groups. And so Jesus has not returned yet because there are still unreached people groups. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, in the end, no, pun not intended at all, um, I, I very much believe there will be an end yeah. of yeah. all things. But in times, to make that a very small, you know, oftentimes the, the end times because of what John writes in Revelation, there are people who will go and say, well, this is a seven-year period, yeah. and there's going to be tribulation, tribulation in that. Tribulation the tribulation stuff. may be halfway in between yeah. there, you know, so three and a half years, then the tribulation, then the end, mm-hmm. or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, is, is the tribulation going to be pre-rapture, the post-rapture, all this, all this other talk that really I, I frankly don't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes I question some of the theology and some of the interpretation of Scripture as mm-hmm. well in mm-hmm. that. Um, but... Suffice it to say, Paul has a much bigger time period in view when he's speaking of in these last days, Mm -hmm. the last Mm -hmm. days, a much larger time period in view. Gotcha. So what advice does Paul specifically give Timothy for living in these last days? And how does that advice apply to us as well as we're in that same period? Yeah, I think there's a lot that we could uh, there's a lot that we could pull out in in regard to what advice that Paul gives Timothy. I mean, I think the first thing, just as, as a general heading, I would come back to this charge that we've already touched on some. That is uh, Jesus' charge to these churches in Revelation two and three. It is very clearly Paul's charge to Timothy. It's just it's stay faithful mm. while living yeah. in these last days. There are a whole lot of things that are going to try to distract you and. It's going to be tempting to live like those who are part of what Paul already described, those who are lovers of money and lovers of themselves Mm -hmm. and slanderous, Mm -hmm. hateful, unloving, and all all these, I mean, unforgiving. I mean, it's going to be very tempting to be part of that group because there are going to be times where it looks like that group, they're the ones that are getting ahead, and we're the ones that are constantly losing. So we don't feel like winners when we're losing, that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, how can we believe that the victory has already been won when we feel like, boy, we're just always losing on this earth? And I know there are people who've really struggled with that, but again, Paul puts the target the, the target out there for Timothy to be faithful, to be godly. Again, godliness is the target, not comfort, not winning in this life. In fact, sometimes we may have to lose in this life for the sake of winning in the next. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's very, very plainly what Jesus says, um, you know, in, in all three synoptic gospels, um, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow after me. So any, anybody who wants to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake, even the sake of the gospel, they're going to save their mm-hmm. life in that. So. So Jesus has a very different view of winning in the last days than we do, and, and Paul does as well. I mean, it's, it's faithfulness. Faithfulness yeah. is yeah. the target, or it's godliness, not comfort, not winning, not anything else we might put there. And so um, I'll say this to, to answer that question. Um, 
as far as what spe- specific advice Paul gives Timothy, I'm, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna try to make it kind of clever, clever and memorable. Okay? okay, so I'm gonna use the word purpose a couple of times. Uh, the first one I'll say is this: I, I think Paul challenges Timothy in a roundabout way to know his purpose, mm-hmm. know the purpose for which you were created, know the purpose of your life. If you know the purpose of your life, it's going to be much easier to stay faithful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Paul kind of, you know, this is kind of reading in between the lines. I mean, verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul says, But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. Mm-hmm. So, again, we're going to make a little bit of a jump here. Paul is saying, Timothy, you know what my purpose in life is. So I think out of that, we can pretty safely assume that Paul knew what the purpose of his life was as well. Paul knew the purpose of his life, which is why he was okay with sitting in a prison cell awaiting execution Mm -hmm. and was still thrilled about the fact that the gospel message cannot be contained. He says the word of God cannot be contained. So I'm chained, but you can't chain the word of God. And so I am still accomplishing my purpose, even sitting here in this jail cell. And so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I can survive Mm -hmm. each day and I can even thrive until the end of my days because I know what my purpose is. So in that, there's this implication, Timothy, you need to know what your purpose is if you're going to stay faithful in these last days where suffering and persecution is is to be expected. Verse 12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So how do we face persecution? How do we face difficult times? How do we face any of this if we don't know our purpose? (laughs) If you don't know your purpose, if you don't know what you're aiming at, the second anything bumps into you, you're going to be deflected and you're going to go a different yeah, direction. Yeah. If you know what your purpose is, you're going to be heading straight down that hill. You know, and so um, trying to think of it like an illustration uh, earlier this morning that would work for this. And, you know, I mean, think about like a, like a boulder rolling down a hill, a big rock rolling down a hill. Um, I mean, it may, it may smash into trees. It may run over brush. It may run over pebbles and other things, but it's going to keep rolling downhill because its target is the bottom of that hill. Now, gravity is what's pulling it that way. And obviously not being sentient, that rock doesn't have a purpose and doesn't know where it's going. But, but we need to be, in a sense, like something moving downhill, knowing that our target is the bottom of that hill and there's something pulling us and propelling us that way. It's the purpose that we have in God. We know that. And so, you know, it's like a ship with a rudder. We've got to have a rudder. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a rudder, you know, I, I can remember, um, you know, when I was much younger, um, I think maybe about 11 years old, was out. We lived in, in Florida on uh, the Charlotte Harbor was where, where we lived in this little town called Punta Gorda uh, that's been wiped out by two hurricanes now in the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so. Um, but... Uh, you know, we, we had this boat that we had bought, and we're out on the water in this boat, and a storm comes up, and my dad goes to steer the boat, and all of a sudden the steering cable breaks, and so we have an engine on the back of the boat, but no rudder anymore, basically. We can't turn the engine, and so uh, my dad had me go to the back of the boat in the middle of the storm and hold this engine and try to steer a straight, holding this big old engine in place uh, as, as my dad was trying to give it just a little bit of throttle just to get us going forward. And, and there were several times where I couldn't hold it and we'd just do circles. We'd do circles or we'd go any which way that the wind and the waves were moving us. You know, I mean, if, if you are rudderless in life, I mean, knowing your purpose is your rudder. It's what keeps you steering straight. You know, to be rudderless is not a fun thing. I mean, you, you're probably never going to get to where you need to be. But if you know your purpose, you've got this rudder that will guide you. And so here's what I want to say about that. 
anyone, there, there's not any one of us that can find our purpose in life apart from God, apart from our designer, apart from our creator. And knowing what God's mission is and the role we play in it, it's one of the, I think it's one of the biggest things that will give us an anchor and purpose in life. I mean, we'll know this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Godliness, if godliness is our target, we start to develop purpose around that. If comfort is our target, we develop purpose around that. But you're going to be all over the place. Wherever leads you to comfort. And you think about water, water finds the path of least resistance. So water will go just a zigzag all over the place to find the path of least resistance and follow gravity that way. It's not going to do, it's not going to be moving on a straight line. It's going to be everywhere. I mean, if you look sometimes, maybe, you know, flying. Next time you're in a plane, look out over land and find a river. And you'll see it goes all over the place. It looks like a whining ball of yarn, you know, a, a snake. All I mean, it's not going in a straight line. We are people who know our purpose and should be moving in a straight line because of that purpose. Here's what I'm doing. I'm following God. And so Paul is telling Timothy, if you want to thrive in these last days, know your purpose in Jesus Christ. So that's the first piece. Um, and then I'm going to use the word purpose again here. I think the second thing he tells Timothy, and this begins in verse 15, goes 15 through 17, he says, Know the purpose and power of Scripture. Understand the message and communication of God and the value for your life. Mm -hmm. That's where Paul says, Timothy, let me tell you this. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. This is the purpose of Scripture. He says in verse 15, Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. right? You found wisdom in that. You've learned how to come to know Jesus and find salvation by trusting in Him, by following Him, by giving Him your allegiance. Okay, so you've trusted the Scripture to to this point. Trust it further. Understand that, that Scripture, the words of God, are powerful and effective. I shared... You know, during the message time, just uh, just several verses. I, I, I'll just share again real quick because I think there's there's some real power in this. Think about yeah. um, what what is said in Psalm one nineteen eleven. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Mm-hmm. Or about Scripture, the words of God. Your word is a lamp. This is Psalm one nineteen one o five. Is a mm-hmm. lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Just let that imagery hit you. Mm-hmm. Or um, Isaiah fifty five ten through eleven. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Okay, so think about that. Rain, snow, water coming down from heaven. They're accomplishing a purpose. Isaiah says, or God says, so it is my word that goes out from my mouth. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And in the last one from Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is alive and active. Mm. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, and the rest of Scripture confirms this over and over and over again, there's power in the Word of God. Know the purpose of the Word of God. Know your purpose in life, Timothy. That's good. And you will be able to not just survive, but even thrive in these last days, even in the face of persecution, even if it means your life yeah. to the very yeah. end of your life, you'll be able to, to, to walk forward faithfully in these last days if you can know your purpose, know the purpose and power of Scripture. 
So I think that's I, I think that's his communication to him about how how you can survive in these last days. And I think it would be his communication to us as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I see way too many people um, who who look like a winding river from you know a thirty thousand foot elevation um, who don't seem to know. I maybe never even asked the question about purpose and meaning in life yeah. as it relates yeah. to them or are clueless about what their purpose is. Um, you know, the same thing about uh, the, the purpose and power of Scripture. I, I see way, see just so, so much uh, walking away in, I mean, I've, even, I've seen it in my Christian friends um, who just don't believe the Word of God has much to say to us today. You know, that was a communication for then, but it's not for now, you mm -hmm. know? And so, mm -hmm. um, man, if, that, if, if we don't search for our purpose in God, if we don't know the purpose and power of Scripture, uh, we're going to have a really hard time living well in these last days. Excellent. So as we wrap up then, Paul, how do we practice this to be faithful? Yeah, so I'd say this first. Um, well, if, if you're struggling to find and, and know your purpose in life, one, just know that at a general level, if you're a Christ follower, God is calling you to be godly or to be like Jesus. That is your purpose in life. I mean, if you're struggling to find your specific purpose, maybe, okay, fine, got it. Just shoot for the general purpose mm -hmm. and see what God starts to unfold for you. Right? So I'd say that's the first piece. Or maybe spend a time, spend a season in, in prayer and fasting asking God to reveal mm -hmm. to you mm -hmm. what He's calling you into, what your purpose is. And when you know your purpose, you'll be able to do, you'll be able to take on a whole lot of things that you would have said no to before. Yeah. I guarantee yeah. that's true. Um, and, and then the second piece, um, man, sometimes we have to get back into Scripture in a routine, in a, in a patterned way um, to redevelop the love for Scripture that we ought to have had all along, to rediscover that the words of Scripture, that the Word of God is alive and active, that it is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Um, all these things that are promised, that it will not return void or empty. We've got to get back in Scripture. And so, you know, I know a lot of people start a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year. Um, let, let right now be your beginning of the year. I mean, jump in and find, you know, find an app, download an app. There are plenty of them um, that, that you can go to. I mean, the Uversion app is great for that. Um, Bible Gateway is great for that, where you can jump right now into some sort of a reading plan that will allow you to be digesting and meditating on the words of God yourself so that you can find out in these last days just how purposeful and powerful the words of God are still for today, this very moment. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. Yeah, that is, enjoyed it. That's great. Great conversation again today. We hope you've been reading along, following along with yeah. Second Timothy. And next week we will close this series. And yeah, that's right. Where we'll be then? Is that end of three or? Um, it's the beginning of chapter four. Okay. Beginning of chapter four. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good stuff in there for us. Kind of Paul's summary of what he's calling Timothy to. And, and then will be kind of a summary of the whole thing for us as well. Excellent. All right. Well, fantastic. Then stay tuned. Join us again next week for this final episode of this series and final episode of season three of Practice Makes Faithful. Look forward to seeing you all again.